Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. What? What was that? Somebody shooting? All right, come on. Come on, let's get the party started. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Y'all howling. I didn't even have to say nothing, man. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, um, I hate doing this to y'all sometimes, but I just need a howl this morning. I just need to do it. It's because we just need to do it. I'm excited about the sermon today. This is one of them sermons where I needed it so bad, and so I messed around and got into the word, and I just got hype over it. So I just feel like screaming because Jesus is good. So I hope y'all don't mind. Can we just hit it on the count of three real quick? If you're new here or whatever, this is going to be weird. It's always weird. It's weird for us, but we just do it. You just would scare the devil off. We tell him we about to get on him with this word real quick. One, two, three. Hit a howl. How? Nice. See, look, we got to be nice with our howl or whatever, because I went and messed with John T. and Melissa the other day over at the Navigators at UNF and preached to them, and they've never hit a howl before. And I told them they hit a howl, and it went out of their mind. They went straight bananas. So... We got to make sure don't nobody take our copyright on this howling thing. All right, so check this out. I'm going to run through. I, I think I got a lot of content or whatever, but um, all I care today about is preaching this word well. That's it. Not even performing it well, but preaching it well because I have an amazing word for you all. We're going to be following up in Romans 8 where Jeremy started off. Jeremy did Romans 8. He did, um, he did verse 1. And I told him, I was like, yo, man, go ahead and run through 8. You know, do 1 through 4. Run through. Keep on moving. And then he was like, man, I just hit one when I met with him this week. And so I was like, you just hit one? He's like, I just hit one. And then when I got on, the, got on it, I'm coming back on one. I almost got stuck, too, because it's so delicious. I just was like, man, I may stay in one. But I'm going to try to run through it. But real quick, um, you know, I hope you all had a good week or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I had a good week. You didn't do nothing big, you know, just... Just hit a little, uh, you know, just meetings in the White House. Nothing nothing crazy or anything. Just, um, you know, went to D.C., you know, met with some people, whatever, you know what I'm saying. And just, just, just that's it. Can we get some pictures real quick? Come on, man. Let's get the pictures. It's not as a big deal. Well, we'll start here. This is one of my brothers right here. This is Felton. He's one of the kids in the class. And so um, I wish Amy Donofrio was here right now. Um, Felton would think this was funny if he was here, believe me. Everybody was cracking on, but, you know, he told his mom, he's like, yo, you know, I need to be dressed up or whatever. This brother pulls a tuxedo with the wings out of his suitcase. And so he shows up. This is what he had on all day long, for real. And so he, uh, he so I told him, I said, man, I said, listen, no, no, listen, when he comes to my room in the morning, one of the kids opens up the door and he goes, Felton. And I kind of heard his voice. So I looked around the corner, he goes, Boy, you like you about to jump in a casket and die, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Dying the whole time. So I told him, I said, listen, man, I could tell he's feeling a little self-conscious. I said, bro, I said, listen, you need to take this thing and own it. I said, because you're looking like the boss. I said, make sure you walk in front, and whenever we turn the corner and you catch a breeze, help them flaps a little bit. Hit them back and let them things blow. You know what I'm saying? So he was working that thing. He'd be coming up the thing, they'd be like. <laughs> so I was like, work them things, man, you know, but they kept calling them. Uh, mayonnaise and mustard all day, but 
He's a great kid, though, for real. And he did his thing. But everybody we met, he was the center of attention. So after a while, he owned that thing or whatever. And then we met John Lewis, a civil rights leader. And um, this was, this is just one of those things where somebody carries a crazy heavy presence. During the uh, March on Washington, he actually spoke number six before Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and then he showed us another picture where he was talking to President Kennedy, where they met him right after that. And, um, and this is him. I think he's 20 years old there where he's actually getting beat at Selma. And if you see almost any civil rights picture, like from the past or whatever, that are kind of the more commercial ones you see, he's usually front row. And he's all, he's been, I mean, he was just, he's like, man, we get spit on, beat on. And what was so amazing is that after he told us all of that, he looks at the kids and he said, don't let anybody ever make you hate them. So it was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? He had a true love for God. He was talking about how he always wanted to be a preacher, and, um, and God called him into this fight. So that was an amazing gift for us to meet him. And then we met um, Cory Booker. I don't know if y'all have this picture. So Cory Booker is actually a senator of uh, New Jersey, and, um, and so absolutely amazing. They're looking at him like he's going to end up being president um, at some point or whatever. Maybe one of these next people will get impeached, and they'll get him in there. So I don't know. But... I don't want to get political, you know, I don't know, you know what I'm saying, my prophetic, maybe I am, I have no idea, but we'll see, but anyway, so, but more than anything or whatever, besides all the politics, it was just an amazing experience to be able to sit with them, we got to go to, um, in, to the White House in the Eisenhower building and sit and have a round table with the president's financial advisors and the Department of Justice, and, uh, and it was amazing, but that fella in the back with the hair back there that looks like it's doing a peace sign, um, that's, that's my man, Daquan, right there. And he was actually on the front of the New York Times two weeks ago. And he was in, in the article is basically about how, um, how um, court fees trap the poor, basically, and how it keeps them in this revolving system. And um, the, the article, the guy who wrote it, it was his last article for the New York Times. And it was one of his biggest articles ever. Like, the response was absolutely crazy. And the Department of Justice actually grabbed a hold of it. And they sent it to judges all over the United States. And they... You know, I was wondering if they're going to just bring him there to kind of showboat him around, but they really were so invested in his story. And um, so it was really cool to see how that worked. And you can only imagine these kids, um, just the dignity of sitting in the round table talking to the president's financial advisors, absolutely through the roof. You know, one of the kids that was sitting there when we were, um, leave, when, we were when they asked, they said, hey, like, what do you, what do you have anything to say before we close? And he said, he, he just said, man, this is the best day of my life. He was like, I don't have nothing at all. And I never thought I would ever go anywhere or leave the city. And I just can't believe I'm even sitting here right now. So absolutely amazingly, you know, dignifying. So I'm just glad to be able to partner with the school and with um, Amy Donofrio um, and, and just with working with these kids and everything else. It's not an easy thing. You know, these pitches look like fun, but, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard road sometimes. So I appreciate all our teachers and all our leaders and people who work with the youth and education and everything else or whatever. And look, then there's Amy Donofrio in the back. Throw your hands in the air like you just don't care. Hot dog. She's the, she's the leader of this group, so thank God for how he's using her. I can't see her well, so it would be messed up if that really wasn't Amy. All right. Y'all ready to get into the sermon? All right, y'all know Jesus is king? I got this mic up here, so it's kind of weird today. So we're going to go in Romans 8, verse 1 real quick. All right, starts off like this. Therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Um, that's a huge statement. That is a huge, huge statement. So let's not fly past it. I know Jeremy hit on it yesterday, but like I said, the thing is so juicy, I had to hit on it too. I had to just touch on it a little bit. Here's the thing about it, right? Satan is on his job. He's always on his job, and he's going to make sure he does the job of accusing the brethren. Can y'all, do y'all know that? How many of y'all, before we even start this real quick, just, let's just get right here first. And, and put your hands in the air. Actually, how many of y'all just feel like a worthless piece of crap sometimes? Can you throw your hands? I'm, I'm in it. How, how, how many of you just sometimes wake up with just condemnation just standing on your back? Like you just, you just can't do right, right? That's Satan. That's him making his moves, doing what he does or whatever. And so this whole chapter right here in Romans 8, this is where Paul is like, he's coming to straight strangle that out, right? So he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? What is he saying? He's talking about us walking in the spirit, right? He's talking about us rehearsing the cross, looking at the cross and everything that's implied in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. But for some reason, we're able to spit that out of our mouth a lot of times, but we're not able to recognize what it actually means for us and how it lands on us, especially at the moment when Satan's trying to whisper in our ear and tell us that we're sucking, we're not worthy, right? And so the idea of being in Christ, it points directly to the idea of your faith and where you place it. So if when we're wallowing in condemnation, we're not putting our faith in the cross. Because if we're rehearsing the cross, then we're rehearsing the fact that he died for us while we were still sinners, right? Can y'all say amen to that? All right, so if our faith is not resting right there, it's resting in condemnation. Because as soon as you slip away from the grip of the cross, Satan is going to be like, you're a scumbag. You hide. Hide in the darkness with me over here. Because you're dirty, you should hide over here. And Jesus isn't flipping, tripping about being, you being dirty. He knows that we're sinful and wretched and everything else. And he dealt with it with his son, Jesus. So when we forget the cross, then we slide over here to the dark side. But when we remember the cross, we like, yeah, I'm a mess, but I know that his blood covers my sins. And I'm actually allowed to walk in the light with my father. Like he's actually for me. He's for me being sanctified, right? He wants to hit the sin right in the face, right? So he calls us into his light, right? Your faith is being in, your faith being in the work of Christ as opposed to your own work to attempt to justify yourself is what that is, right? So what does it look like? I want to point you to Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says this marvelous statement right here. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Has, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's gangster stuff. Can y'all say amen to that? That is absolute gangster gospel stuff. And the reason it's gangster gospel stuff because this is your knockout punch to punch Satan in his head when he comes accusing you. All right? This is talking about a father who is rich in mercy. All right? It's talking about God being rich in mercy who comes and hunts down people who are dead in their sins to save them. They're dead to bring life to them. So it's absolutely crazy when sin shows up and we think that we're dealing with a God who's like, 
you're disgusted. That has nothing to do with his story right here, right? There's a big difference between being condemned and being convicted, right? Being condemned means you're just stuck like Chuck. When you're being convicted, sorry if your name's Chuck up in here, right? And that's no play on our brother Chuck. I just texted him this morning. It's my man, all right? It just rhymes, all right? But being convicted, right? Being convicted is the love of God. It's a father stewarding his family and his, and his kids, right? If you're a father out there, then you know what this is like. Your kids act up. You get on them a little bit, but you love on them at the same time, all right? You know what I'm saying? Zulu loves to argue with me about everything. So I have to stick it to him and give him a hug at the same time, man. He'll be like, no, I, I'm the boss. He's like, I'm the boss. I'm like, you're not the boss, man. I'm the boss, and don't make me get on you, you know? But I love you, all right? So this is how God works, and we can't forget that. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus because we don't sit around talk, sit around spending our time working through being good. We spend our time being captivated by the cross and the work of Christ and the Father's love that he would send his son for us. You get where I'm coming from? There's a big difference in walk, and that is what walking in the spirit is. Walking in the spirit is this thing where we are in Christ. We are in what he did, right? You get what I'm saying? You know, any of you guys have been dating a girl or whatever, and she's like, I don't really know what's up or whatever. I just don't feel like you're into me. Anybody ever had that said? I never have, but I'm just playing. Anyway, maybe you have. I don't know. I was just checking. But what I'm saying is that that's kind of the concept. It's like, yo, I'm not, you're not captivated by me right now. That's what she's saying to you. Like, your attention seems like it's elsewhere. And, and when he talks about, about us being in Christ, it means that we are captivated with the work of Christ. We are rehearsing it. We are walking in the spirit. You're in a body of death, so it's sinful. So you will sin, but that is not even where you're captivated at. You're captivated in the cross. So when sin shows up, you punch it in the head real quick with this good news. All right? It works, and it's effective, and it's really, really good stuff. So when you lose sight of this and the enemy has, has you in the tentacles of sin, there's no condemnation. This is what you bring to it. This is what you do not forget, right? When good Christians, the good people who got it all together, and they tell you you're a bad Christian, maybe you are messing up with what they're talking about, but you still are up under this law of the spirit. You still are up under this thing where you're covered with grace and mercy and love, not to continue, you know, being a train wreck, but to actually look at it and go, I'm still loved. This doesn't set me back at all. This is actually God's love bringing me on to sanctify me and to pull me closer to him or whatever. I don't like the way they said it, but you're, you're free to not even have to fight back because he already won the fight for you, all right? All right? This is, this is important for us to know as the church because when people call you on the phone and they're drowning in their condemnation, they're reaching, to you, reaching out to you for help. I had two people in the past week call me like ready to commit suicide, like on the phone ready to handle it. You understand what I'm saying? This is where I take them to because I know what is standing on their neck when they make that phone call. Condemnation is on their neck. You get where I'm coming from? This, this, that's why this is important. This isn't just something to be casual about. This is what we go to war with. This is the good news for people who are drowning in the lie. This is the good news that we give them. This is going to be always, you're going to have to feed it to yourself and you have to feed it to everybody else. And that's all we have for them. That's all we have for them. Jay can't save them. But I know who can save them. You can't save them, but I know who can. They have to land. They have to land. I preach this right here because I need it. I tell them this because this is how I don't commit suicide. Do you get where I'm coming from? So we, so we got to lean into something because it can't, it can't be us. We don't got what it takes. Um, 
Any of y'all ever heard of the author Steve Brown? Y'all, some of y'all know who Steve Brown is. He's an old OG or whatever in the gospel or whatever, very respected. But I remember seeing um, um, Mr. Brown speak somewhere, and just one of the things he caught me that, that he said that, cap- that kind of caught my attention was, um, first let me say this. Whenever I hear elders speak, like when I hear older people speak, I always listen up, straight up and down. Even if their life is a wreck, I want to hear their regrets because I want to hear what brick wall they hit that I need to watch out for as a younger man. I am a young man. Um, and so, if you didn't know that. But anyway, so, but I want to hear that. I want to know what in the world they have to say. You get what I'm saying? Or like whatever wisdom in life and the experience they've had is, have, has crafted for them, I want to hear it. So when I'm listening to Steve Brown speak one day, he says, he goes, man, one of my regrets, my ears are open. It's like one of my regrets is that when I was like 20-something years old, I wish I would have believed this so much. I wish I wouldn't have spent my life wilding around with second-guessing whether God's love was completely as real as he said it, said it is, and I wish I could have just ran and float through it. Do you get where I'm coming from? So many conversations I, I, I have to entertain with y'all, other people, and with myself are rooted in this fear, but, you know, but I'm a mess, whatever. Like, what is the, does the word say? This is what it says. It says there's no condemnation. That's what it says. That's what that word says. Do you, do you know what it's like, how, how easy you could float if you believe that? We walk around in this position where we just always have this weight of failure sitting on our heads. And that's why he's talking about us walking in the spirit because we need to walk in the spirit. We need to be in the spirit. We need to rehearse this. It's not about walking in spirit and the spirit just doing magic tricks all around you. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about being rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ because the spirit points you to the cross. It testifies to the son. Do you understand? All right. We're in verse 2 right now. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what is the law of sin and death, right? Let me read this again. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I'm reading that slow because sometimes I read this stuff or whatever, and it'd be like the law of the spirit, then it's like the law of sin and death, then it'd be like the law of, of Jesse through Abraham, and I just can't even catch up with all the laws. So I have to slow up a little bit to make sure I get it, and I don't want y'all to miss this. All right? What is the law of sin and death? The law, which is righteous, that condemns the works of all mankind and sentences, sentences them to death. The law is righteous, right? The law is not broken. The law is righteous, okay? So the word says the wages of sin is death. So the law says this is sin. We sin. The sentence for that is death, right? So all sin is a rebellion against God. It's all idol worship. There's no such thing as a small sin. Adam and Eve's sin, you know, I don't know what they're eating, but, you know, maybe it was the apple or whatever. It's organic. I mean, they was trying to eat good, healthy, sound like to me, but it was a sin. And it had catastrophic results because it was disobeying God. So there's no, there's no little thing. You understand what I'm saying? If you sin at all, you're a wreck. You're in bad shape. You failed against the law, and the wages of sin is death. All right? Verse 3 says this, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. All right? Let me, let me explain what that means. 
So if the law represents an initiative to qualify and identify righteous men and women, it has failed in doing that because all have fallen short. Do you get that? It's as simple as this right here. If I say this is the line and everybody has to jump up on this line and nobody in the room could do it, it's failed as, at qualifying that we have some amazing jumpers in the room because nobody can make it up here. You get what I'm saying? That's what that statement is simply saying. All right? And here's the thing. The law is not broken. That's why God is justified in condemning us and sentencing us to death. We have fallen short of the glory of God, so his wrath towards every human is justified, and that's what makes this next move of mercy and love one that we are actually going to marvel in for the rest of eternity. You get what I'm saying? He's justified in that we have fallen short and that we have broken his law in the sentence of death. But this next move proves how amazing our father is. All right? So the rest of that, te that text right there. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's just talk about this real quick. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. God, so so we just hit the point that we actually are guilty. We all have fallen short, right? Y'all heard that? So he stands justified. He doesn't have to do nothing. But his next move is mercy and love, and he sends his son. And not only, not only he sends his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I heard a guy speaking yesterday at a conference, and he was just talking about how God, in a big scope of things, what he was talking about, and I've been having this conversation all week. We've been talking about it. We usually get inside of the building, we do church or whatever and everything else, and then we say, hey, everybody come inside of the church and check out what we do. But Jesus actually came out of heaven and comes and dwells amongst the people in the likeness of sinful flesh so he could take the long walk with him into the building, into his, to his holy kingdom. You get where I'm coming from? That's a model for us to live after. When we talk about strategy and how we reach people, he showed it to us. He showed it to us. As the church, we go stand with people. So when you're dealing with your family and everybody else, like sometimes I hear people like, man, I don't want to mess with my family because they smoke, they drink, and do whatever. That sounds cute. If you have a problem with that, whatever, then don't do it. Cool. But that that really doesn't play. You're telling me to save a soul, you can't go chill for a minute? You get where I'm coming from? To point somebody to Jesus? To be peculiar in the room? And to listen to people's hurts and their pain and everything else or whatever? And take the long walk with them? That's what he, that's what he example, that's the example he left for us. Can we say amen? I don't never say that, but I got to say it this morning, man. All right. He condemns sin, sin in the flesh. How sway? Some of y'all know this. All right. Let me tell you how he did that. The law has always stood on our back in victory. We could never cross the line. We could never jump up on the stage, right? And he comes in the likeness of our flesh. All right. So it stands on our back and it renders us hopeless, hopeless and rightfully condemned as sinners. As sinners, And then Jesus comes and he defeats the law. He makes it up on the stage, right? Makes it up on the stage. He jumps high enough. He fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. Cool. Awesome for him, right? 
What about us? What about us? But look what the text says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He was doing the will of the father and the father's heart was us. So when he jumped up, we all jumped up. Right? We all jumped up. He fulfilled the righteous requirement for us. He jumped up. We all jumped up, right? That means that when he was getting spit on and disrespected and mocked, and he didn't turn around and hit them with the back smack, how many of y'all would smack the fire out of somebody if they spit on you today? How many? How many of you? Well, Jesus let the spit hit him because you did, because you couldn't, because you can't. All right? He was winning for us. All right? He was meeting the mark for us. All right? I heard a guy say the other day, like this, he was resisting Satan in the desert. When he was refusing to bow to him, he was doing it for us because we bowed to him. But he, so he was doing it for us. You get where I'm coming from? Hot dog. All right. Okay. We're going to read real quick. We're in five right now. For those, who live, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. This is back what I was just telling you earlier. We don't sit and spend our time on the flesh because the flesh has already been conquered. We don't have to sit and think about how to jump up on the stage because he already jumped up on the stage. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's what it's talking about thinking about things of the flesh. We don't sit and think about all the rules and how to get up here and everything else to be approved by him because he's already jumped up for us, so we're already good. We are, are considered justified and righteous in the eyes of the Father because of the work of Christ. So now we live according to the Spirit and we set our mind on things of the Spirit. The Spirit is the cross. The Spirit is this whole story that we are talking about right now about him justifying us and jumping up for us. The reason we don't have to think about this is because he's already jumped for us. So on our worst day when sin confronts us, the way that we actually strangle Satan back when he's trying to strangle us is we start telling him about Jesus jumping up on the stage. This is how we do warfare. Our mind is on the cross. The spirit is pointing us to the cross, all right? For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's death. Why is it death? Because if you keep thinking about trying to jump up this thing, you simply can't do it. So it goes back to standing on your neck and crushing you. All right? And it's the way Satan gets his grip and tries to grab you away from the presence of the Father and just start telling you lies. Does that make sense? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can't please God in the flesh because there is no way to get up the wall. Our bodies are prisons of sin. They love sin. They love it. It feels good to our body. It's selfish. It's greedy. It's every scumbagalicious thing that walks the earth. It's in our flesh. But the spirit is life. The spirit of God is life. The spirit of God is life and it confronts sin. And it says, I've beat you and I've destroyed you and I've won. And so it lets us dance in freedom, right? I'm going to just throw this to you real quick or whatever. And, and, and I'm, I'm not telling you this 
I'm not telling you this because I got it right. But I try to use practical examples so you can understand where I'm coming from. Because sometimes we talk about this and it's hard to land in your life, like how it actually works and how it looks or whatever. And sometimes I don't know whether I'm saying too much or whatever. But I, all I know is that I'm preaching something that I need. And I, and I don't want anybody to be fooled about that. I preach this because I need this, like I need it for real, all right? And so this morning when I was on the way here, I was driving or whatever, and I'm driving up the street, and I look out the window, and I see a chick walking, and she looks kind of good. Baby, I'm sorry, okay? Don't trip, all right? She looks kind of good. I didn't look. No, excuse me. I looked. All right, I'm getting myself in trouble. Hold on, let me just back up for a minute, all right? <laughs> Hold on. I'm chill. Put the chair. I'm gonna explain. Calm down. All right. Just chill out. All right. But I looked over, right? And especially just coming out of this sermon right here, right? Especially after plowing away at it, my you know, I turned my head instantly back. And then I just started rejoicing for by just of the freedom in Christ. I rejoice that Christ actually just won whatever that battle was. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like, and I, I don't, I don't want to diminish the battle because when we get nonchalant about, like I said, there's no such thing as a small sin. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. Sift us like wheat. That's what God has been dealing with me all week. Let me tell you something. I am a walking wreck and a mess, and I'm feeling it this week more than I ever have. I've been reading that healthy, emotionally leader. That thing has been kicking my butt, kicking it. And it's just been showing me just the wretchedness or whatever. But at the same time, it's just like stuff that I've become casual about that's broken in my life. And so I didn't have answers for it or whatever. And I've just let it exist or whatever. It's like God's like, nah, that's a problem, homie. But at the same time, he's heaping this big mess that I need to deal with together. He's standing by me and hugging me so tight. Hugging me so tight. So it's like this kind of broken thing. But like his love is so beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Allie, you know what I'm talking about, Allie? Hot dog, that's what I'm saying. Okay. But you get where I'm coming from. It's so beautiful and it's so delicious. Like he's a good father. You would think that I would be going, I'm a wreck way more than I even thought. But he's saying, my love is bigger than you even thought. It's better than you even thought. And I'm like, hot dog, I don't have to give up. I don't have to, I don't have to throw in the towel and say, man, I'm disqualified. I'm a mess. I don't have to do that. He's like, yo, I am king of kings and lord of lords. I died for that mess right there. And I'm going to take the long walk with you. So my wife's hug's been a lot better, and I've been loving. It's just been absolutely great. I'm just trying not to get in trouble. And I'm sorry, babe. You know, but anyway. All right. So y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right. Okay. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. He's talking about you, believers. He's talking about you. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Boy, if we could be alive and really be blown away at that statement the way we should. This is crazy. But nevertheless, we're going to get there. We still have faith. We still have hope. One day we'll feel all of that right there. 
We'll fill that whole statement, so don't feel bad. Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So you may have religion. You may know the scriptures well. It doesn't mean that your faith is in the work of Christ, all right? And it says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's speaking about that, that clash, that fact that that body is dead, but that the spirit is living and it is powerful and it gives us life. That sweet spot we're talking about when it's like you see yourself and it hurts, but God is standing there and it creates this beautiful thing. And it creates this sensitivity to sin and things that injure the father's heart. That's a good spot to be. It's a good spot to be. That's where it's alive. That's where like, you, you, that's where you're quickened and you're alive right there, right? It's the middle of the sanctification sandwich we always talk about. Between the brokenness and the beauty of the cross, right? And it's the same pattern that, that, that the gospel is preached in that Pentecost. It's the same thing. After Pentecost... Um, Peter stands up and he goes, you killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. And then he tells them, but he died for you. It's, the, it's being sandwiched in between the worst news of your life and the best news of your life, right? Acts 3.10 says this. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So even Paul, as he's walking through this book in Romans, he starts off and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he starts ironing it out for us. And we've worked ourselves up to verse 8 or whatever, right? But he starts on the front end in the same pattern that Peter preached the gospel because he started off by telling you, like, none of y'all are righteous. None of y'all. It always leads with repentance first. Repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. That's something we live and function in. It's not a one-time deal. We live a life of repentance. The spirit is always doing the work, walking us away from that old stuff. He, he, he signed up for this. He signed up to deal with the mess that you are. So don't jump ship because you messed up. He, he, he came for that, right? He's handled that, all right? In the next part of chapter 8, which I started this series with, so I started at the end of 8. And, I, and, and, and then we started going through the front end, right? Here's the sandwich. He hits him in the beginning, Acts 3. No one is righteous. But we're not going to get to the next part because we started with it. But I just want to remind you where this conversation about that we're having right now goes to next. In verse 15 says, for you, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. Stop letting Satan whisper in the, your ear and condemn you. That's not why I did all of this for for you to go back and fall into fear. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You are children of God. Children of God. You're in the family. Nobody takes you and just swipes you out of the family. So Satan is a liar when he comes with all that. All right? When you're sitting in the room, you're like, man, these people don't know me. I'm an absolute mess. I don't belong here, whatever. That's a lie because everybody around you from the front end to the back end is just as jacked up as you are. And we need Jesus just as much as you do, all right? 
So that's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. And the 17 says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So he's sandwiching us in with this hope, and he's saying that you're actually heirs. You get sweeter on the back end. It gets sweeter. Like, I got promises waiting on you. You get where I'm coming from? Like, we in the family. We children, legitimate children. You get where I'm coming from? Like, we don't get like a, yo, we left you a little broken down house or whatever on this side of town. Homie, we get all of that. You know what I'm saying? A thousand hills, everything or whatever. We're in the family. And it says, verse 21, it says, that the creation itself will be set free from, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it is saying that the whole world right now is actually waiting for this moment when God comes to redeem everything and us, his children, are going to rule and reign everything. All right? All right? So he tells the story like that. He puts you in the sandwich to let you know you are a mess. So don't even get cute. But God is beautiful, and he's taking care of all of that. And so the conversation is about nothing but how beautiful he is and the work he has done for us, right? So he hits us with this sandwich, right? This sandwich looks like this. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready? You got the one side of the bread. It's the end of the loaf with the crust all over it. Ew. That's the sin. Ew, nobody wants that loaf. We throw that whole thing away, all right? We throw it away. But we don't throw it away. You know who throws away? People who ain't starving. Because I know some homies will tear that joint up all day long. You feel me? But we starving. We, we broken. We need that part with the crust on it. That's the sin. You feel me? And then he hits you with the meat of mercy. Then the truth turkey. Then the salt of salvation. Then the lettuce of love. And then he finishes it off with the bread of life. That's the good piece of bread. You understand what I'm saying? With the bread of life on the top. How? Sorry, I'm telling you, I need this. I need it. I need it. I need it. I ain't trying to put a show on for you. I need this. I need this right now. Ephesians 2.4. Let me just read this to you real quick. I want you to just imagine something. So I've been, I've been reading, I've been watching um, the channel, um, what is it, Viceland. And so on Viceland or whatever, it has, well, you know, I think I talked about this channel before, whatever, when I preach, I'm not sure. But they have, it's just a lot of crazy stuff on it, super liberal, everybody's smoking weed on it and stuff. But the documentary stuff is like really, really amazing or whatever and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like the way they do it is great. It's great uh, journali journalism and everything else. But it takes you into these other countries, and I've been watching stuff about Gaza, and I've been watching stuff about Africa, and it, it freezes me when I see the brokenness that people live in, and it's just like, oh, my God, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, the stuff we're so nonchalant about, right? And I'm just looking, at, I'm thinking about some of these villages. Like, if you were to tell them, yo, new president's taking over. I'm talking about these villages where there's no water and they're traveling miles and miles just to find a little bit of water. Where they're actually, they're like, yeah, we have tactics. I'm watching some the other day. They're, yeah, we have tactics to actually get water out of the plants or whatever. And I'm like, and they're over there and they're working this plant or whatever and this and that. And that joint was like two drops. I was like, homie, what are you going to do with that? But, yo, they like thirsty. 
So you imagine if a guy comes, excuse me, if, a, if a, somebody's running for president and they say, I come with abundant water. Yo, I got a water supply that'll never die. You understand what I'm saying? I got the water supply that'll never die. You feel me? The people will go crazy. They will go crazy. And our God right here says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Do you understand? Like we are dead in our sins without him. We are worse than the people that are thirsty. We're in a worse situation than that. They can at least get a couple drops. We can't get nothing in our sin. Nothing. And then he shows up. And his proclamation when he can come in and stomp us and be justified in it is I'm rich with mercy. Oh, my God. Let's tear the city to pieces, man. That's the end of my sermon. We're going to do communion. Um, man, God is so good. Do y'all know that? He's good. And I'm not screaming because I'm trying to hype your emotions up. Because sometimes I hear this stuff and it sounds great, but you might tell me tomorrow and I might just sit with a dead face. But I'm not dead because the spirit of God is in me. So if I don't rejoice and jump off the walls right now, I'm going to jump off the walls one day. And it's going to be absolutely crazy. Because I'm not going to have this dead body that tries to fight against the joy of me rejoicing in a God who shows up and says, I'm rich in mercy. You get where I'm coming from? So check this out. We are about to do communion right now. We're about to do communion. This is something we do as believers because we are all in the family of Christ. And like I just told you, he says that we are children. We are his children. So as his children, the way he's told us to celebrate him and remember what he did on the cross and for us to lean into the spirit, he tells us to take this table right here in remembrance of him. The broken bread represents his body being broken for us, and the drink represents his blood being spilled for our sins. He gave his life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again three days later. And that's not a fairy tale. That is the truth. All right? And we have a God that is so serious about saving us that he's invested. He would put his son up. For the promise, all right? That's how real it is. You best believe if I put my son up something serious. You get where I'm coming from? And I can't even fathom what that would be. But it tells me that his love is beyond anything I can ever grasp or understand. So when we take this table, it's absolute serious because when I talk about all these beautiful things, that side of the sandwich, that crusty side, what it took to deal with that was his blood. You understand what I'm saying? It took his blood to deal with my sin. It took him dying as a sacrifice to fulfill that righteous requirement that I just spoke about in the text. So it's not a game. We don't take this table lightly. And the word says, if you are not a believer, do not take this table. Because for you, it's a cup of wrath. It's a cup of wrath. It's not nothing to be played with. But if you feel like Christ is pointing at your heart right now and he's telling you to follow him, then you should listen. You should listen. After church, I'll be standing on the side. You should listen. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but when I gave my life to Jesus, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I honestly thought God's whole plan was to, like, make me put on some tight khakis and, like, be Urkel or something. That's what I thought he was going to do. I really did. But you know what? I didn't care, though. I was like, dude, do what you got to do because I'm in bad shape. I'm in bad shape. But God has a plan. He has a plan, and I'm telling you, it's beyond anything you can even imagine. The same way he flung out the moon and the stars, he's waiting to fling, 
fling out a whole nother life for you that's beyond anything you can imagine. And I'm not trying to sell you and tell you it's going to be easy. It may be hard as I don't know what, but I promise you it'll be sweet. I promise you just to know that the Father and the King loves you that much and knows you, whether he takes you through hills or valleys low, it's no better place to be on earth. So I love you. We're going to worship.